Good morning. As always, it is great to be with you this morning. Uh, We're continuing our series in the Psalms. We're spending a summer in the Psalms. Last week, we heard from God's Word in Psalm 51. We heard David's song of confession as he acknowledged the depths of his sin and cried out to God, not just for forgiveness, but also for cleansing, that God would wash him clean of the pollution that was in his heart. That was last week. Today we're hearing from a very different psalm, Psalm 72, which is focused on the king and the reign of the king over his people. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn to Psalm 72? And just by way of short introduction, one of the things that the psalms especially do is they open up our hearts to us. They open up our hearts and expose our desires and our longings and the things that we know that we need. They also expose the ways that we try to squelch those God-given and good desires and we try to fulfill them in the wrong things. And so, before we hear about our need for a king... I think we need to acknowledge, we need to admit something. And what we need to admit is that we are all little anarchists. If you don't know what that word means, anarchy means without a chief or without a ruler, without a king. None of us wants a king. We don't want to be ruled over. We don't want someone to be in charge of us. We want to be our own little kings and we want to do what we want to do. Now, some of you who are history buffs might be thinking, well, yeah, this is America. We were built on rejection of a king. That may be true. I'm not a historian, so I'm not going to try to delve into all the historical reasons why we are where we are. But I am a pastor, and I know that there are biblical reasons why we reject the idea of someone ruling over us. In Genesis 3, when Eve and Adam were in the garden and a snake, a serpent, the devil, came and tempted Eve, one of the things that he said to her about this fruit that she would eat is that it would make her like God. She would be like him. So at least one aspect of that temptation was that she wouldn't have someone ruling over her Anymore, She wouldn't have someone in charge. She could be her own person. She could be in charge. She would be the master of her fate and the captain of her soul. And so it has been since that moment that Eve ate the fruit and gave some to her husband, who ate it as well. We want to be our own kings. We want to be our own lords, our own gods even. But we can't quite snuff out that desire to be led, that desire that God gave us. So it comes out. We actually do want to be led. We want to be led well. We want to be led by a good ruler, by a good leader. And so we rant on Facebook about who our leaders ought to be and about how poor a job the ones who are currently in office are doing. We leave a job because I just can't follow that boss anymore. We complain 
about the frustration of perhaps being in a church where elders or pastors are not leading well. We have this innate desire to follow good, healthy leadership. And that's not bad. God has given that to us. It's a good thing to have a good president. It is a good thing to have a good boss. It's a good thing to have good pastors and elders. People flourish under good leadership. That's one of the things that we're going to see in this psalm. But if you go the opposite direction of anarchy, and you make those leaders, whether you deem them good or bad, if you make them ultimate, you will crush them. And you will leave yourself sorely disappointed. Because the truth is, we need and we have one king. His name is Jesus. And while those other leaders are good and important and blessings from God in this life, King Jesus is the only ultimate answer to our longings and hopes and needs for good and right and healthy leadership. He is our only king. And we are only at rest when we are bowing the knee to King Jesus. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us as we see what our king who leads us is like. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we read your holy word, we ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know and trust your son Jesus Christ better. Give us humility as we hear the glorious gospel, that our pride would be exposed and we would see and confess our need for Jesus to rule over our lives. Speak, Holy Spirit. Your people are listening. Amen. This is Psalm 72. Hear now the word of God. Of Solomon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor in him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass 
of the field. May His name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in Him. All nations call Him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this psalm today, we're going to ask five questions that are going to give us a picture of the reign of this king. First, who is this king? Second, how does this king reign? Third, what are the results of his reign? Fourth, who is included in his reign? And then fifth, how long will his reign last? So that's where we're going with this psalm. First question we have to ask is, who is this king? And you may think, well, you already said it's Jesus. We know that it's Jesus. And that's true, but I want you to see why this has to be Jesus. The title of the psalm is of Solomon. And it's written in the form of a prayer. Notice the terms of request that show up again and again. May he judge your people. May he defend. May he be. And so it's likely that this was a coronation song. A prayer for David's son. Solomon is David's son who comes to the throne after him. It's a prayer when he was first seated on the throne. Lord, we want his kingship to be like this. And this is what they prayed for Solomon. But what you need to remember is that the Lord made a promise to David, a covenant with him in 2 Samuel 7. Listen to the, what the Lord says to David there. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so this royal son, the son of David, would have an eternal kingdom. And so yes, this is a prayer for the king. But everyone seems to understand that this is not just for Solomon, but for, who, but for a king who is yet to come. The Targum, which is essentially the ancient Jewish equivalent of a study Bible, where they're writing notes in the Bible to help people understand what it says, the Targum actually inserts the word Messiah in verse 1 after the word king. And so it reads like this, Give the king, the Messiah, your justice, O God. So this prayer is not just a prayer, but it's a promise. A promise of what the Messiah's reign would be like. This is how the promised son of David would rule. And that actually became more and more evident as the kings of Israel came and went. As all of them failed again and again to live up to anything close to this prayer in this psalm. It became obvious that this was a part of a future promise. 
This is what the promised Messiah would come to do. So this king is the king of God's people, but he is specifically the promised Messiah, the future son of David, whom we know to be Jesus. We know who the king is, so how does this king reign? What will his kingship look like? Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. So how does this king reign? He reigns with righteousness and justice. But it's not just some vague sense of righteousness and justice, however we want to define it. Look again at verse 1. This is the very righteousness and justice of God himself. The prayer is, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. In this psalm, righteousness and justice are almost interchangeable. You can see how they're used as parallel terms in those two verses. Both of them here are used in the sense of a just judge. This is a person who makes decisions, who is called on to settle disputes, which, which a king would often be called on to do. Think of Solomon himself in 1 Kings 3, when he's to decide who this baby belongs to. A king often functioned as a judge making decisions. And the idea here is that God judges rightly every time. He's not hindered by lack of knowledge. That's true. He knows everything. But more than that, he's not at all hindered by sin or by selfishness or by pride that other kings would be hindered by. When we think of an unjust judge, we usually think of a judge who is taking a bribe, who is out for his own gain, who wants to get something for himself out of the deal. God will never do that. He is righteous and just in all his judgments. And the plea here in this psalm is that the king, the leader of God's people, would be just like that. And very quickly, we get the psalmist telling us how we will know if the king is righteous and just in his judgments and in his reign. The litmus test the key thing to look at when you wonder whether a leader is just and righteous in the way he deals with people, in the way he settles disputes, is how does he treat the poor? How does he treat the needy? How does he treat the weak? Look at verse 2 again. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The same is said in verse 4. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy. And then this is especially highlighted in verses 12 through 14. Again, this is talking about the reign of this king. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Now, on one level, this is pretty easy to understand. If a king judges in favor of a rich person, 
he might have taken a bribe or he might be hoping to gain some sort of favor from them. But if he decides in favor of a poor person, there's no bribe to be had. It proves his justice. But the question actually gets to the heart of the king. This leader, this king, does he make decisions based on what others will do for him? On what he can get out of a situation? Or does he make them on the basis of what is right and what is just? When you're looking for a good leader, the Bible tells you to pay attention to how they treat people who can give them nothing in return. That's what this psalm is talking about when it looks at the reign of this king. And this is especially applied to the Messiah, the promised king in Scripture. This is what Isaiah 11 says about him. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that's David's father, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So the Messiah's perfect judgment is exemplified in how he judges the poor and the meek. And while the terms of Psalm 72 are almost purely economic, Jesus makes it clear that those aren't the only weak and poor that he gives his help to. This is what is said again of the Messiah in Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. What a king. Here the weak and needy are compared to a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick. Have you ever had a candle or a lighter that is burning really low, how do you have to handle it? You almost have to move in slow motion. You have to stop breathing for fear that you might accidentally put it out. This is how Jesus treats those who are weak and poor and needy. He's careful with them. He's cautious with them. His justice is the kind of justice that is gentle and careful with people, with us. Just as careful as you would be with a bent-over plant or with a faintly burning candle. This is the kind of reign of this king, and we see it as soon as the New Testament begins. Who flocks to Jesus in his ministry? Little children. His disciples try to stop them. They think that they're bothering Jesus. They say, no, get away. And Jesus says, what are you doing? Let the little children come to me. But it's not just the weak, it's the needy. Tax collectors and prostitutes, who are not necessarily those who are economically poor, flock to Jesus. He is called their friend. This is the reign of this king. 
where the weak and the needy know their lives are precious in his sight. This isn't the kind of king who just surrounds himself with the famous and the rich and the powerful. He is a friend to the weak. There's one other thing that characterizes the reign of this king. The king's justice is also shown in him crushing the oppressor. Notice that at the end of verse 4. It says, May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. The way that this king defends the cause of the poor and the needy is by crushing their oppressor. And this isn't exactly the normal way that we talk about Jesus, but it is absolutely clear in Scripture that Jesus is a king who will defend his people from their enemies. Listen to the question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a summary of how Jesus operates as our king. This is question 26. How does, how does Christ execute the office of a king? How does he function in that role? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Notice that. He rules over us and brings us under his righteous reign, but he's also a warrior king. He restrains and conquers all our enemies. We talked about this last week, that your greatest enemy all your life long is going to be your sin. And Jesus delivered the mortal wound to your sin at the cross. When Jesus returns to consummate that victory, there will be no more sin done by you. No more sin in your heart. But it is also true that when Jesus returns, there will be no more sin done to you. All those who would hurt you, or hate you, or revile you, will either be cast out of the kingdom, or will be made holy. They will be cast out if they refuse to bow the knee to King Jesus. But if they do bow the knee to him, they too will be cleansed of their sin and made holy. No one will hurt one another in the kingdom of this king. This is what the reign of King Jesus will be like. It is a reign of justice and righteousness where the poor are protected and the needy are defended. The next question is, what are the results of his reign? If his reign is one of justice and righteousness, considering the lives of the weak as precious in his sight, what does that kind of kingdom look like at ground level? There are three sections in this psalm that tell us about that, and each of them gives agricultural imagery for what that will look like. Verse 3, Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people, and the hills in righteousness. Verse 6, May he, this is the king, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound till the moon be no more. Verse 16, May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. 
There's a lot that we could pull out of those verses and look at, but I want you to see that this is actually the way that God created the world to work. David says this at the very end of his life in 2 Samuel 23. He's on his deathbed, and he tells us what God has said to him about how leadership will work. He says this, The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from from the earth. But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. You see what David is saying? What David is saying is, as the king goes so go his people. As the king goes, so go his people. A king who rules with justice is like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth and cause it to blossom and grow. But a king who doesn't reign in justice and righteousness, a king who is a worthless man, the result of his reign is war. And everything will be consumed in fire. As the king goes, so go his people. And I know some of you are immediately thinking about your context, about America, or about your job and your boss. And that's fine. And it's not wrong. But the first thing you ought to think of when you hear that is the church. Who is the king and the head of the church? Jesus Christ. What does that mean about the outcome for the church? No matter how much opposition the church receives, both from within and from without, no matter how much difficulty, no matter how much Satan buffets against the church, she will blossom like the grass of the field. She will bask in prosperity, even on the mountaintops where nothing grows. The wheat of Christ's church will be so abundant that it will wave in the breeze. Why should we have this confidence in the future of God's people? Is it because our tactics are so clever? Is it because we've got a new Supreme Court justice who happens to be a Christian? Is it because we are going to win the culture war? No. It's because Jesus is king. And as the king goes, so go his people. We have two more questions to answer. We're going to work through them a bit more quickly. The first is, who is included in this king's reign? At first, the answer is obvious. His people. The people of God are included in the reign of King Jesus. But as we keep moving through the psalm, the answer to that question gets a bit more complex. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says that the king will have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And then it lists all those nations, all these peoples that will be conquered. So these seem like enemies of God's people who, as verse 9 says, will lick the dust. They will all serve him. But then look down at verse 17. 
The second half says this, May people be blessed in Him. All nations call Him blessed. This doesn't look like they're just bowing down in servitude anymore. Look at the language. They are blessed in Him. This sounds exactly like Genesis 12 and God's promise to Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation. This is what He promises to Abraham. He says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These families of the earth, these nations who were once far off, are now included in God's people. Remember that language of the shorter catechism. How does Jesus execute the office of king? By subduing us to himself. We are the conquered. We are the enemies of the king who were defeated. Lauren was just reading to the girls the other night the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was the one who was oppressing God's people financially. He was the one who was taking from the poor and the needy. And the way that Jesus crushed him was by subduing him to himself. And Zacchaeus is now blessed because he is a subject of the king. This is the king that we serve, who brings even enemies like you and like me into the blessing of his rule and reign. Who's included in this king's reign? All nations including former enemies like you and like me. One final question. How long will the reign of this king last? How long will this reign last? Let's look at the text. Verse 7. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Verse 17 says, May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. So how long will his reign last? As long as the moon and the sun. Forever. You don't have to worry about the joy and prosperity of this kingdom ending when the king dies. And someone else coming to the throne who's going to ruin it. He will never die. He will reign on his throne forever. This is what the Lord said to David. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The angel said to Mary in Luke 1, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is what we read in Revelation 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, this is what is happening now. Jesus is seated on a throne, high and lifted up, ruling and reigning over His church and over this entire world. His will cannot be thwarted, and His purposes cannot be frustrated. But more than that, this is what we have to look forward to. 
in the here and now, this has not been fully accomplished yet. But his kingdom shall cover the earth earth as the waters cover the sea. Our righteous and just king will never die. He shall reign forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Would you all pray with me? Father, we rejoice that you have given us Jesus as our king. We ask that you would remind us of that truth again and again and again while it is not before our eyes. We pray that the lordship and the kingship of Jesus would be a comfort to us and a confident booster to us and that we would trust in him as our king instead of trusting in the kings of the earth. We pray that you would continue to grow us as your subjects, that we would bow the knee to Jesus and that we would proclaim to the nations that he is king and that he opens wide his arms to all who would bow the knee to him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.